Would uh, Richard, would you mind grabbing that light over there for me, please? Thank you, sir. I want to just speak with you shortly. I'm not going to take a lot of time. At least I hope I'm not. Uh, those of you who go to church here know I just lied. So Lord, <laughs> forgive me. Well, I didn't intend. I, my, my intentions are good, right? And that's that all that matters. Well, that's what I hear a lot. What I meant was, oh, okay. If you have your um, Bible or phone or whatever, you can turn to uh, Acts chapter nine. I want to just run through this. We touched it on home group the other night, and I feel like it's still important, but I want to differentiate the, the difference between an encounter and an experience, because they're two different things. And there's a lot of people in Christianity who had experiences, but they've never had a true encounter. And they base their entire Christian life on what they've felt from God without actually what they've surrendered to God. There's a difference between an encounter and an experience. We have a modern generation of Christianity that has a lot of experience, but very little encounter. And what I mean is that when you experience Jesus, you have the option to not surrender to him. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. You meet the man himself. It's one thing to experience the overflow and the reverb of his presence. It's, one, it's, the, it's quite another thing to, to see him himself, the man himself, to have a, a, a meeting with Jesus. And when you come to it, when you go to church, of course, there's a lot of churches where the presence of God is not there. But typically, if you go to a church where the presence of God is there, you have had an experience with Jesus, not an encounter. You with me? Now, I know sometimes within the experience there is an encounter. But most of the time, most of the time when people feel the presence of God, it's different than an encounter with God. An, ex an experience with God is drawing you to the encounter with God. It's not necessarily the encounter itself. Sometimes it can be, all depending on your surrender. But an encounter with God leaves you a different man than an experience does. Those of you who know your Bible, you can understand the story of Saul, the Israeli king in the Old Testament, who was basically a bad man. All things together, the end of his life, he was not a good king. And there was a point in his life where the Spirit of God came on him and he prophesied accurately with the prophets. And the Bible says he was changed into another man. Yet, when that Spirit lifted off of him, he turned right back into the same man that he was and tried to kill David, consulted with witches, and was ultimately killed. You with me? Saul had an experience, not an encounter. You with me? It's possible to be in church and have experiences, but never have a true encounter. And it's interesting that the passage I told you to go to is the same type of man. And his name happens to also be Saul. There's something about a Saul nature that has had a lot of experiences with God, yet lacks a true encounter. And that when one has a true encounter, notice the name changed. Because whenever you have an encounter with God, you don't see yourself near as highly as you did before. 
Because when you have an encounter with God, you also have an encounter with your own raw humanity. You see how great he is and how holy he is and how insignificant you are and how unholy you are. When you have a true encounter with Jesus, you see not only who he is, but you see also who you are. The word Paul in that meaning means little one. And I'm sure he was probably pretty proud of his pedigree. The words, the name Saul indicated he was possibly from that lineage. Former king, former ruler of Israel. And now he has an encounter with the king and he doesn't think of himself so highly anymore. With me? As a pastor, I have seen a lot of people who live on an encounter or an experience and not an encounter. They don't change their life. They get touched. They cry. They feel God. But they walk back out and they're no different. You with me? Tell me how those people are born again. If those people are born again, then the Bible is a lie. Because my Bible says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. With me? So what we have is a lot of people in church telling people who've had experiences that they're saved. And they've had experiences. It's one thing to experience the ripple effect of somebody's presence, but not encounter the person themselves. You can be in a lake and somebody can splash you and you can get that water on you from the action of their life but not actually encounter their life all the 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 experiences of god are meant to lead you to an encounter with god and in that encounter you're no longer the same person you with me if you had an experience with god and you're still the same person you've not had an encounter with the lord you understand what I'm saying? I feel like I need to reference Matthew 7. Jesus says to people who are coming to him at the end of time, and he says this, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things in your name? You ate, we ate in your presence. You taught in our streets. In other words, we experienced your presence in church. You taught from the mouth of our pastor in our church. You did these things. Why won't you let us in? And he says, I don't know who you are. He had an experience, but not an encounter. With me. This message has two sides to it tonight. One, maybe you're the person who's had a lot of experiences and not a true encounter. Or two, maybe you've had a true encounter and your life now is given to the Lord, but you're asking how do I get other people to have the same thing? How do I get people to have an encounter and not just an experience? Because it doesn't matter how much you minister to people if they don't encounter Jesus. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you travel the world twice over to make one proselyte, twice the child of hell that you are. In other words, when you get to where you're talking to people, the only thing you can do if you don't have the Lord in your life or you don't have God's wisdom in your life is replicate what you currently are. 
How many of you actually want to do that? How many of you want to go out and make another you exactly like you are right now? Would that help or hinder things? You with me? That's how we can tell whether Christianity is real or not. If we replicated you right now as you are, would things change or would they get worse? Because if you replicated Jesus, things will get much better. You with me? That's what discipleship is. It's replication of who we are. Who we are is supposed to be what he is. If it's not, then there's never been an encounter. I don't care how many years you've been in church. I don't care if you've prayed the prayer. I don't care if you've cried a bucket full of tears. There has to be a moment where there is a true surrender. Where you're changed from Saul to Paul. You with me? All right. If you think I'm stepping on toes, you don't know me very well. This is a nice message. Saul, breathing threats and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked them for letters of recommendation to Damascus and the synagogues, that if he found anybody that was following the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This guy was so full of zeal and religion, he was out doing the work of God. It's hard, it's hard for us to stop and look at this story the way it really is. Because in our mind, Paul's just this evil man. No, in Paul's mind, he's a very devout religious person. He doesn't sin. You with me? He said, as touching the law, I am blameless. He kept all 633 commandments. You with me? That's hard to do. This guy was zealous for God. He thought he was out there working for the Lord. He believed he was doing what? Right. Why? Because when you don't have a king and you haven't had an encounter, you're just like everybody else. And what is everybody else like? When there's no king in Israel, each man does that which is right in his own eyes. So you have eight billion people with eight billion different opinions, and none of them are right. You with me? This guy's no different. Yet he thinks, I'm following the Lord. I'm doing what's right. I'm attacking what is tearing down our faith. Because these Christians were a threat to the Judaic faith of the day. You with me? He thinks he's a man of God. And that's the problem with Saul. They've had experiences but never encounters, and they think they're right with God. You catching where this goes? There's a lot of people in church today are that or that way. They think they're doing right. They've had an experience. They've been to theological training. They've had doctrinal degrees, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. But a true encounter always brings you down at the feet of Jesus. In surrender. With me? As he journeyed, he drew nigh unto Damascus, and suddenly there shone a light around him, uh, a light out of heaven. Why did God meet this guy? I asked myself this question, because this guy was like, how we look at him at this point is he's not a nice guy. Why would you waste your time on this guy? Because this guy really did have a pure heart. He really did. He just was messed up in his head. 
He wanted right. He wanted truth. He wanted to follow God. He wanted to be zealous for the faith. He wanted, but you know what? The, the, the crux of his life was that he brought more chaos than he brought peace. He brought more destruction than he brought restoration. And that's what most people do in Christianity who believe in God. Everything they touch begins to fall apart. They break things more than they can fix them. Relationships, jobs, careers, whatever it might be, they interject and they cause division instead of reconciliation. That's a Saul line idea. Understand Saul line? The nature of Saul. One who has not had an encounter with God. Yet even in that though, he wanted truth. He wanted reality. He wanted substance. He wanted, he wanted something to be right. And so Jesus saw that in him. Why? Because it says in, in Jesus says earlier before uh, this ever happened, he says, the pure in heart shall see what? God. Did Saul see the Lord here in this passage? He heard a voice and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you see that double word there, it means God's speaking with an exclamation point. Jesus didn't say it twice. He said it with impact. Saul. Just this attention getting. Why are you persecuting me? It's interesting that the Lord is so one with his people that when you hurt one of the least ones of these, even in religious devotion, he sees it as an attack on himself. When you hurt one of the least of these, Jesus sees it as an attack on himself. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? How can you spend your entire life memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament? And probably more realistically, Saul had most of the Old Testament memorized all the way through the prophets. How can you study your God? That long. And then when you meet him, when you have an encounter with him, you're forced to say, who are you? That you can spend your entire life in church with lots of experiences. Let me tell you something. A million experiences will not hold a candle to one encounter. A million experiences won't change you. A million sermons won't change you. A million touches of the presence of God will not change you. But one encounter with the true man of Jesus will change you. And I'm not just talking about salvation because there's people who are truly saved who need another encounter. John got his in Revelation. Truly saved. Truly saved and got another encounter. And again, he has the same position that Paul has on his face before God. Not standing in his, ap in his apostolic nature. Not standing in the fact that I've spent 60 years serving you. I'm finally glad to meet you, Jesus, again. Because we spent three and a half years together. I'm the one that laid my head on your chest. He sees this man, has an encounter with him, and he's on his face as though he were dead. When you have an encounter with the Lord, there's nothing of you that is able to stand. Everything falls and bows. When you have an experience, the same is not true. Why does God give experiences? Because he's trying to lead you to an encounter. 
I've always said the most dangerous thing that could ever happen to you is you get touched by God and never surrender to that touch because by that touch, you justify your salvation, thinking you're saved because you got touched when you have never submitted and surrendered to the touch you said you love. Don't ask me to repeat that. <laughs> so he drew nigh. He says, who are you? He said, I am Jesus. I am Yeshua. I am Joshua. I am your Messiah. I am the one who you're persecuting. It's possible to be in full-time ministry and do nothing but tear people apart. I've done it. It's not fun when you realize it. It's not fun. Who are you? See, experiencing God doesn't get you an introduction to the man himself. It just introduction, it's, it's just an introduction to his kingdom and his people. But when you meet the man himself, when he interrupts your life, and you see him as he is, you have to change, not him. With an experience, you can take that experience and mold God into kind of how you want him to be. Well, he did this for me, so therefore, dot, 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 dot. See, a lot of people know Jesus as Savior, so that's what he is, Savior. Not very many people know him as Lord, so that's what he's not. A lot of people know him as healer because they've been healed, but they don't know him as deliverer. Some people know him as deliverer and not healer. So the experiences of God tend to form God himself whenever that's actually not the reality. The things that God does is not exactly who he is. It's a part of what he does, but his nature is different in character. What I do is not, as, is not who I am. I preach, but that's not who I am. I'm a son. To my children, I'm daddy. To my wife, I'm husband. To God, I'm a son. To you, I'm a pain in your rear. Right? <clears throat> what I do is not who I am. Same thing with the Lord. Who he is will be continually unfolded throughout eternity and there is no way we can put a stamp or a blueprint on what that looks like here and now because our brains are too small and this earth is too small to hold the capability of unfolding who God actually is. This is why Paul prayed toward the end of his life after having a successful ministry that I may know him. Wait a minute, I thought you already did. He saw him here, met him here, and yet continues to pray that I would know him. Because when you've had an encounter, in that encounter you realize there's much more to him than you could ever know and it leaves you hungry for more. Not experiences, but encounters. Does this make sense to you? He tells him, rise, enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. So the men that journeyed with him, they stood speechless. They heard, but they didn't see. Interesting. Because you can be right in the presence of God, hear, and not see him. You can be right in the middle of a church service, hear, but not see. Isn't that crazy? Well, I was there. Doesn't matter. You weren't there. You didn't hear. You didn't see. I'm confused. I don't know what we. I don't know what just happened. 
So Saul opened his eyes, and he was blind. Isn't that crazy? In the physical reality, here's what happened. God showed him how he was spiritually seeing. Because before, when his eyes were open, he was blind. Now his eyes are blind, and he can actually see. Isn't that crazy? Before he thought he was right whenever he could see, and now that he knows he was wrong, he can't see, but he can see. That's what happens when the, when the eyes get opened in your heart. You realize everything I thought about God was wrong. And I see it now. And then you try to tell other people, but guess what? They hear you, but they can't see because they haven't had the encounter. You can be around somebody who's had an encounter and it not change you. These guys were right there with this manifestation and they didn't get it. You can be sitting next to somebody in church and they having an encounter and you don't see it. When you get to heaven, God's not going to say, did you read my word? He's going to say, did you live my word? Because there's people in other countries who can't read, who get born again, who end up by the very nature of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, fulfilling the word of God itself. And they live the word of God, even though they don't know it. Doesn't matter how much you study the word of God. Your Bible studies don't do anything to you except for heap more instructions on your life of what you now are held accountable to. In fact, there's certain Bible verses that say it'd be better for you not to know what it says. Because now that you know what it says, you're held responsible to it. Congratulations. Every time you come to church, you're heaping upon yourself more instruction. You now know. Now you're held accountable to obey. Thank you. Right? Appreciate that, Chad. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. See, the physical reality of a spiritual blindness was manifested in this moment. Three days later, he was without sight. He didn't eat or drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, behold, he said, I'm here. The Lord said, get up, go to the street, which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one named Saul, a man of Tarsus. He's praying. And he saw a man named Ananias coming in. He laid hands on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many that this man is evil of what he did to the saints of Jerusalem. And God said to him, verse 15, go your way. He's the chosen vessel to me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings. Listen, verse 16, I will show him how many great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You cannot have an apostolic origin without an encounter. And an apostolic origin is the ability to father something other than your own selfishness. An apostolic origin is having a purpose to life more than just you. You realize you're here for others. You cannot have that without an encounter. You with me? And when you have an apostolic origin... God will show you sometimes how many things you're going to have to suffer. But Paul was willing to suffer when Saul was willing to make others suffer. 
with me? Paul was willing to suffer where Saul was, was willing to make others suffer. There was a transfer at the encounter. One, he was making others suffer. Now two, he's the one embracing the suffering. This guy got beat over 300 times. Not 300 individual beatings, but 300 lashes. Over 300 lashes in his back. We're not talking about a little belt from your dad. When, when, when one of these guys got done getting beat back then, it took them months to recover. Months. Over 300 times. Put himself in harm's way for the gospel. Shipwrecked. Spent three days and three nights at separate times in salt water in danger of being eaten alive. Because in that area that he was shipwrecked in, at that time, there was some of the biggest sharks known to man. You can't sit in salt water for 24 hours without your skin peeling off. He put himself in harm's way. Why? Because he's crazy? No, because now he's had an encounter with somebody he loves and there is no price too high to pay. If you have to preach to people telling them to sacrifice, you're talking to people who have not had an encounter. Because people who've had an encounter will naturally sacrifice. That's why you'll never really hear me harping on you. We need to win the lost. If I have to tell you that, you don't care about the lost. If you're not naturally driven to do it, you don't care about it. And me telling you is not going to do anything for you. It's not going to change you. What, I t what, I, what I'm going to tell you is you need to have an encounter. And then when you have an encounter, you'll care about the lost. So when you have this idea of people in your life and you know that they're not right with the Lord, but they've had a lot of experiences, how do I help them? You need to pray that they have an encounter with God. Because without that, all your wisdom and all your theology and all your Bible study and everything you think you know is going to fall on deaf ears and they're going to walk right back out and be the same person they were before they walked back in. What changed your life if it changed? It wasn't an experience. It was an encounter where you were before the living God begging for mercy. So Ananias prayed for him. Verse 18, straightway there fell from his eyes as it were scales, and he received his sight. He rose up and was baptized. Lenses are very important because it determines how you see the world. The first time in my life I had to get reading glasses a couple months ago. It was so gradual, I didn't even think I had a problem because I always I thought, you know, I don't think I've ever been able to see this close. You know, I think it's, I think it's natural. And then I started thinking, like, wait a minute. Could, I don't remember it being blurry right here. But maybe it always was. See how it plays tricks on you? And you think, well, maybe I'm not so bad. That's how sin is. That's how it's a slow creeping. You think, well, maybe it's not, maybe, I, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Or maybe, and, and, and then all of a sudden I go to the eye doctor thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to go because my wife's going. And then she puts this little corrective lens on. I'm like, whoa, that's like, wow. That's amazing. That's what I said. I was like, wow. Yeah, I was like, it just came out of my mouth because what, the lens that we view life determines how we see life. And if you view your life through selfishness, rebellion, sin, self-hate, self-pity, self-dejection, you're going to see God and everything else through that same lens. If you view life through the idolatry of a relationship, you're going to tarnish how you see every relationship. 
If you view life through the idolatry of your children, you're only going to see life through that lens. This guy lost his lenses and he can see. He lost his prescription of what he thought life was about, and now he's able to see what's really real. And it showed in his character, and that's apostolic. You with me? When you see somebody touched by the way, listen, guys, I have watched people come to the altar, weep, cry, moan, even see angels. And they walked right back out to their crack pipes. Literally. How do you do that? You've had an experience, not an encounter. But in their mind, man, Jesus is awesome. I saw all this stuff, and but they never surrendered. You understand that? See, an encounter with Jesus does the exact opposite as, as an experience with Jesus. An experience with Jesus leaves you kind of mumbling and kind of, oh, that was, you know, I really don't know how to, see, when the, when the guys, James, Peter, James, and John, Jesus says, I want you to come follow me. He takes them to the top of a mountain, right? And then he shows them like this transfiguration deal. They fall asleep, they wake up, they see Jesus like transfigured, he's glowing, everything is just like, it's, it's like a superhero movie. This guy's got power, he's floating in the air, and then Elijah comes down, and Moses comes down, and it's just like, this is an experience, you know? And he sees him talking about how he's going to die. And, and Peter's just like, and Luke's gospel says, he just says something. He says, we should build a tabernacle for you and, and Elijah and Moses. And, and it says, because he didn't know what else to say. Because an experience kind of leaves you like, well, what do I do? That was awesome. And I, but it doesn't leave you with the power to envelop and in, incarnate that experience. And he walks off the mountain and a few chapters later denies he, even knowing the Lord that he saw transfigured. You following me? Am I boring you? Judas had an experience with Jesus. Three and a half years worth of experiences. And then he had the most intimate experience. Jesus washed his feet. Can you imagine that? Jesus knelt down knowing what Judas was going to do and he, and he washed his feet and then he gave him the cup to drink. And it says after he drank that, what does it say? It says the devil entered his heart. There's something about partaking of the things of the Lord without surrendering to him that invites hell itself. Let me say that again. There's something about partaking of the things of the Lord without surrendering and submitted to him that rings the bell of hell and invites hell itself. It wasn't until after Judas participated in the communion body of Christ and experiencing that prophetic death that Satan entered his heart. Be careful. Be careful with your experiences with God because if you don't surrender to God, on those experiences, it might invite a deeper darkness than you already possess. Jesus says it in a different place. He says, when a spirit of unclean spirits gone out of a man and he's not filled, the spirit goes out and searches, finds the home 
not filled, but swept in order, what happens? Seven worse came, come back in. When you experience the presence of God, it comes and sets things in order, but you don't habit, inhabit that house, and you don't put God in that place, and you don't surrender to that encounter, then what happens is everything that got pushed out of your life comes back with force and vengeance. See, apostles are born out of, out of an encounter, not an experience. And when I say apostles, I'm not talking about the office of the apostle. I'm talking about the apostolic, the thing that serves Christ no matter what. You, you, are you with me? See, Jesus says something interesting. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't it interesting that he puts treasure before heart? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So your heart follows the treasure, not the other way around. The treasure doesn't follow your heart. You get that? Your heart follows the treasure. In other words, what you deem to be important is what your heart is going to follow after. And if it's idol idolatry of a wife or a child, and that's what you value as treasure, your heart will follow that to your own demise. Because then when you stand before God, it'll be very apparent that your heart is not in love with him. It's involved in love with somebody or something else. That's why Judgment Day is going to be the great and terrible day. For some people, it's going to be great because they realize my heart has always been fixed on Jesus. And other people are like terrible because it's going to be a position where they are finally exposed and God says, look, I'm not sending you to hell. You chose that because your heart has followed your treasure and your treasure wasn't me. And I'm sorry. Therefore, I don't know who you are. You loved your children more than you loved me. You loved your spouse more than you loved me. You loved yourself more than you loved me. You loved your ministry, your money, your intellect, your pride more than you loved me. How do we know? Jesus says, how do you know? How do you know if you love me? He says, if you keep my commandments. But see, the Saul nature doesn't have the ability to keep commandments. Even though the Saul nature kept all the commandments, he realized later on that he couldn't stop the heart behind the commandments, which is why Jesus entered into a deeper level of conviction by saying, I'm not telling you you're an adulterer if you sleep with somebody outside of marriage. I'm telling you if you even look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery. So under that kind of scrupulous understanding, Saul has no ability, the human flesh has no ability to love God and keep his commandments and stay away from adultery. But Paul, the encountered one, has that ability because he has the nature of Christ inside him. You with me? Okay. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> Those alerts, right? <laughs> uh, okay. I know, it's, a, it's an inside joke. That's what happens when you use one of these instead of an old Bible. Somebody stole my Bible, guys. You realize that? I had a Bible since I was 15 years old. I'm telling you what, every word, prophetic word, date, time. I mean, you couldn't turn a page without just scribbles all over and underlinings and just major revelations and scripture references. Go here, look there. Everything connecting and just, you know, 20-some years of notes. And somebody took it. 
And I just haven't had the guts to start back over, you know, because it's like, oh, I lost so much, <laughs> you know. So I'm using the good old iPad, yeah. All right, I'm almost done. Here's why Jesus says it's important to know where your treasure is, because if your heart's following there, he says out of the out of out of the good treasure of of a, of a good man's heart, he brings forth good things. Luke six forty five, and out of the evil man brings forth evil, because the overflow of your heart is how your mouth is going to speak. So be careful if you have all these things coming out of your mouth, negativity, doubt, complaining, cursing, blasphemy, division, gossip, slander. That's what's in your heart. Unbelief. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times the Lord recently has just been kicking me around the block over unbelief. Just little things in my life. He's like, you don't trust me. And I'm like, yeah, I know, man, that's terrible. <laughs> Fix me. And that's, you know, where it gets real painful is when he shows me why I don't trust him. You want me to tell you why? Or are you ready for that for yourself? Because it, it stung me and I, and I know the answer and it hurts. Some of you are shaking your head, yes. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know anything you want to tell me. It's because I don't love him enough. See, I think I do. But he knows the real, he knows the real deal. Because if I loved him, I'd trust him. And I'm not saying I don't love him at all. But what I'm saying is, is there, there's a growth of even in a deeper encounter that even as Paul had come to an understanding, I need more of him. I need him. You with me? Our heart exposes our true character and our reality so that we can look at what we need to do, who we need to face, and where we need to change. Because without seeing what's really inside you, you have no frame of reference to where to begin. You're just going to carry on like you think everything's okay. Especially if you're a new believer. If you're a new believer, guys, listen, it's hard because thank God for grace and mercy and love and patience and peace and all those types of things. But here's the deal. A lot of times new believers feel like if I can just get off my drugs, get off my cigarettes, get off my alcohol, then I'm good. Well, I'm telling you, there's a plethora of selfishness way beyond that because it doesn't really matter how moral you are according to society standards. That's society standards. Don't excess and all these types of things. Biblical standards are much different. Self-life goes deeper than addiction. It can go into everything. You with me? God needs an apostolic work in the earth. To have an apostolic work, there has to be an apostolic encounter. When you meet Jesus, you literally, not in a beggar's sense, but in a submitted sense, grovel at his feet, falling down, saying, you are God, I am man, there's a huge difference between you and me, and this needs to change, not you, but me. I need to change. I need to see differently. I don't have time to go into the idea and the reality that the only miracle of the New Testament that wasn't repeated in the Old was the healing of the eyes. Because it was reserved for the Messiah 
to be able to heal the vision of man because the law could not do it. And everybody peering through the lens of the law saw God improperly. But when Jesus came to heal the eyes of men, he could see God properly, not as a dictator, but as a father wanting the restoration of his people. He had every reason in the world to kill Saul of Tarsus. Didn't he? Some, some stories state that Saul of Tarsus was so wicked that he would walk into certain cities and cut babies out of Christian women's bellies and grab them by the feet and bash them against trees. All in the name of God, protecting the Judaic faith. And Jesus comes and changes this man, makes him one of the greatest apostles the world's ever seen. Because he had an encounter with the man Jesus. So if you haven't had that, you need that. If you've had that, you need another one. And if you have somebody in your life that matches the description of what I've been talking about, of having all these experiences and all these little stories and all these little defenses against conviction by saying, I've had this deal with God and I've had that deal with God, but you're not a different person, then you need to pray that they'd have an encounter with Jesus. You can't make that happen. The only thing you can do is pray for their sight after they do have the encounter. Because when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to have to connect with somebody else. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. God, make sure that there are no lone rangers in the kingdom faith. Even in an encounter with Jesus himself, you're required to have somebody in your life. I have people all the time, which I do agree with it because it's in the word of God. But usually it's told to me from a religious standpoint. Well, the Bible says we don't have need of any teachers that God himself would teach us and all these other. Then why in Ephesians 4 does he say he would give teachers? You think God's like contradicting himself here or is there a difference? No, there's a, there, you need people in your life. You with me? You need somebody to pray for you that the scales would fall off. You need somebody to be there to teach you after your encounter. Make sense? So, Father, we come to you in thanksgiving and praise, grace and praise, Lord, tonight. That we thank you that you have met some people in here. But, Father, if there's anybody in this room that has not even had an encounter with you, I'm asking, Lord, by your spirit that you would hunt them down and give them no rest. We place them on the altar of God, open and available and vulnerable to the fire of the spirit of truth, burning out every impurity and every lie and every self-justification of why they don't need the encounter. And I ask that you would bombard them with the fullness and power of heaven. And Father, I pray that for those of us who have had encounters with you, that you would not leave us alone, that you would chasten and rebuke us as you do sons and give us deeper encounters where we fall at your feet again enamored and overwhelmed and enveloped by the presence and love of the messiah jesus father give us grace to have this apostolic move in our hearts that we might be able to move out in the evangelistic which is a part of your heart to reach people not just touch them with some sort of an event but touch them with an encounter we ask this for every home, marriage, and place in here, Father. 
We ask for our fellowship to be sweet unto you and the food to be blessed to our bodies. We thank you for everyone here. Touch them, minister to them, and those who were not able to be here. Breathe grace into them right now in Jesus' name. We thank you. Amen.